Today marks the signing of the American Disabilities Act into law on July 26, 1990. But it was a movement, like so many others around civil rights, that struggled at the beginning. It took decades for Congress to finally bring up legislation in 1988. For some of us, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1988 represents the next step in the American civil rights movement. This legislation grants full rights to Americans with disabilities and moves our great nation from a respectable position of official compassion for those with impairments to a more laudable position of empowering disabled Americans. And another two years of bipartisan debate in the Senate before the actual signing into law. And now I sign legislation which takes a sledgehammer to another wall. One which has, for too many generations, separated Americans with disabilities from the freedom they could glimpse but not grasp. And once again, we rejoice as this barrier falls, proclaiming together, we will not accept, we will not excuse, we will not tolerate discrimination in America. Does this sound and feel familiar? A group of people's rights barely existed because they were misunderstood, labeled, controlled, and as a result, they barely existed. And like so many progressive moments in American history, it never happens overnight, and there are setbacks. You've seen them recently. You must fight for equality in the face of inequality. Equality in your ability to enter an area open to the general public. Equality in your education and public schools. These are just two of the underlying principles that outline the ADA. It is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities in all areas of public life, including jobs, schools, transportation, and all public and private places that are open to the general public. So today we celebrate this historic day when the civil rights of a group of people were granted, allowed. Seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? So I've invited my friend and colleague Jackie, who has been acutely affected by the passing of the ADA. Two of her four children are severely disabled and she'll talk about what it was like to navigate these disabilities as a family, the struggles as a mother, and what we can all learn from, as she puts it, the sweetest children you could ever ask for. So I'm very, very blessed. This is Balancing Life's Issues. Are you recording? Oh yeah, we've been recording the whole time. Oh, (laughs) great. Don't put that part on. No, anyway, um, yeah, so more about my kids. So I have um, four children my the love of my life um two of which are severely disabled my oldest jarrett is 27 years old and my daughter is 17 um she's the youngest so i have three boys and a girl and so my oldest and my youngest are both um developmentally disabled um they have severe disabilities um they don't walk they don't talk um they need everything done basically for them but they're the sweetest um children you could ever ask for so I'm very, very blessed. And then my two middle guys are Jacob and Jordan. And Jacob and Jordan are not disabled. No, they're not. And how old are they? Jacob is 22 and Jordan is 21. Wow. So can you can you tell me more a little more about like their relationship together, like the four siblings? You know, unfortunately, the last couple of years, the four of them are all in different locations. <laughs> Jarrett, my oldest, is um, has been living in Monticello, New York for the last uh, 13 years in a residential facility, which a phenomenal place, um, little organic food and they, and just 
um, they took great care of, of the children there and protected them from COVID. And so he was very in a great place. He was just currently moved about a month ago to a group home because he aged out of his residential facility. Are you anticipating the same thing happening with uh, Julia soon? Yes. So Julia is turning 18 in November. And when she turns 21, she will officially age out. But actually the facility that she's in, which is in Millbrook, New York, she can actually stay for the rest of her life if we choose to keep her there. So that's something we have to think about. But Jared's um, residential facility, they did they do aged out at 21. Um, he was 27, so he was there six years longer than he should have been. Because he's a house favorite, probably? No, he is. But but um, no, because I couldn't, there was nothing available to him that suit, suited his needs properly. So, so they kept him in this facility until we found the appropriate housing for him. Tell me about what Jacob and Jordan are up to. So Jacob is living with me. He's my 22-year-old. He is um, living with me, working and um, trying to figure out what, what his next steps are. And then Jordan um, is 21, and he has been going to school in um, St. Louis for the last three years. He's starting his senior year. Um, he hasn't been home a lot. He was also overseas for six months um, for a semester abroad. But when Jordan came home, he did come go with me to visit both his siblings. Um, Jacob does go with me to visit his siblings. Um, I occasionally bring Julia home. But it's difficult for me to bring her home because she's getting bigger and heavier and, and physically it's it's a challenge for me to, to care for her myself. Um, Jared has not been home in a couple of years because I cannot care for him. He's too too large. So tell me more about navigating the physical part of helping your kids who are disabled. I mean, I guess there was a time when they weren't as big as they are now. So we lived in a, in a great community in Westchester County where the schools were very much into inclusion. And even for kids like my two children who have, who have um, severe uh, needs, um, they were able to manage them um, and care for them. And they gave them a great, for a couple of years, elementary and middle school, they were able to give them um, a good education, you know, and, and it was all inclusive. And the other children in the schools loved having them there and, and used to take turns having lunch with them and caring for them. Um, they would line up actually to, to have lunch with, with my kids. It was wonderful having them at home. I, I needed help all the time. You know, I couldn't manage on my own, especially with four children, you know, lifting them as I got older, it, it was, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, it, it just, and they need to care in every way. They need to be fed. They need to be dressed. They need to be bathed. It's, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. And so is that the moment where you decide that the home is, is the option? Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, and, and it was a very, very difficult decision to make and something that I've probably at this point in my life, it's been so many years later, I still can't get past. <laughs> still, I still struggle with it on a daily basis, um, but they are in the best place and they've thrived in the, the environments that they've been living in the last couple of years. So I know I made the right decision for them, for the two of them, as well as my other two boys. Um, you know, for the whole family, but it's it's something that as a mother you 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 feel badly about. You know, you want to be able to care for your ch- children yourself. So Jared has COVID this weekend, and you know I got the phone call on Friday, and one of the challenge most challenging part was that I'm not there to t- to care for him, and that and they're quarantined and now for ten days, so I can't even visit him. So that's it's something I I face, I have to deal with every day.
You know, kind of when it comes to the ADA, is there anything that comes to mind through navigating uh, with Jarrett and Julia? Can you imagine a time when the ADA didn't exist? I don't know what it was like before the ADA, so it's hard to, to say. But um, there's still, it's a, and it's a great thing they, they implemented, but there's a lot more that they can do. It's a good stepping stone. It's a good beginning. You know, it's challenging. Like when we go to New York City, it's, it's and this is just one example, you have to be very careful what restaurants we go to. We have to we have to find out ahead of time are the restaurants first of all spacious enough so they can accommodate the wheelchairs? Uh, are they handicapped accessible? Do they have ramps? Are there stairs? You know, so these are things we have to think about as a family before we go to a restaurant or we go on a vacation, which we did when the kids were younger. You know, we we have to if you go on a plane or you go in public transportation. These are things that you have to think about beforehand because. Um, if they can't accommodate wheelchairs, you can't, you can't go. We could never go to the beach. You know, beaches are very, very difficult to go to. Um, so there was a lot of things, unfortunately, in, in my family's, the years as my kids were growing up, that we couldn't do as a family because of um, the wheelchair accessibility or the lack of a wheelchair accessibility. As they get older and they're adults, it's, it's more and more difficult. So we don't bring them places with us, you know, necessarily anymore, unless we know that it's, it's very like a mall, for instance, is, is handicapped accessible and wide open space and um, we're able to bring them there. But we can't bring them to um, a music show or a Broadway show or anything like that or concerts. Well, I will say, as someone in, who plays in a band, in venues, if you ever want to come to a show, I will make sure that there will be space <laughs> in an area for you guys to come hang out if you need it. That's great. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> and my kids love music, so they would probably enjoy it. Can you tell me a little more like about the things Julia and Jarrett enjoy? Jarrett and Julia are cognitively at a, a young age. So they, they're like, they're like babies or toddlers. They love anything musical. Um, they love music. They love um, playing with musical instruments, um, any cause and effect toys. And they love, they're very interactive. They love very social. They love being with people. They love being held. They love being played with. Um, cuddled and, and my son loves to be wrestled, you know, like any other boy, you know? Um, yeah. Anything that's interactive, uh, they, they like. I was listening to inclusion in education podcast. They had a guest on who couldn't speak, but they developed a way for them to speak through touching something on an iPad. What they discovered was that he was a functioning adult in that capacity but just didn't have the ability to speak. And could you talk a little more about that? Because I think on the surface, when you see someone with a disability, um, I, I, it's not necessarily a stigma, but there's an assumption right. that they don't know what's going on. They're helpless from your experience as a mother and what you've learned about your children. Like what, what have you discovered about them that someone would might be surprised to hear? We don't know how much they understand, but I, as a mom, know they understand a lot. <laughs> um, so we always talk to them as they you know, understand completely. Um, and we encourage everybody else and, and the staff and the staff do, they do the same thing. They do speak to them and tell them what's going on, explain things to them. Um, you know, I FaceTime them and I talk to them and, and ask them how they are and what they did during the week. And if they're happy or anything else is going on, I should know. And they can't always respond back, but I do, I tell them about my week and what I'm doing and what their siblings are doing. They understand a lot because if you ask them a question, my son Jarrett, for instance, will uh, blink his eyes when he understands something. It means yes. Or they'll clap their hands for yes. 
Um, or they both, both of them, if they don't want something and they want to, they know how to say no, they will shake their heads back and forth. <laughs> um, so they understand a lot. Uh, how much I don't exactly know, but they do understand a lot. With it being Disability Independence Day, two-part question. One, is there anything that you want someone to know that you learned from your children? And two, what kind of message would you have for, you know, a parent who is either discovering they have a child with a disability or... Um, yeah, is there anything you'd like them to know from your experience? So as, you know, growing up, um, I, I did, I did know of some other, um, children in my um, neighborhood that were, uh, disabled in different capacities. And I was, I remember being very uncomfortable around them, but then getting to know them, I would talk, try to talk to them and, and I wasn't as uncomfortable. So I think that, um, I know that it's uncomfortable. It's difficult for people to see people with with disabilities, um, people that are, are, are considered different, but don't be uncomfortable around there. They're human beings. They, they loved most of them. Most people love to interact with other human beings and want to be included. When children we're in the street and children look at our, at my children, the parents will say, don't stare. And I'm like, well, let them look, let them ask questions. You know, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's not something to be afraid of or uncomfortable. And, and if you react that way to your child, that they, they're going to think it's a, it's, it's a bad thing. So don't be uncomfortable around people with disabilities, talk to them, interact with them. You know, they, they'll, they'll make them very happy. As for the second question, which, which is, is a tough question. Um, I really feel for parents that are just realizing that their children are disabled because when you realize your child is disabled it's 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 honestly like a death and you go through the mourning process and you can go through a depression and you can go through the anger every 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 um step you have with um losing somebody with a death you go through the same steps with realizing your child is disabled and i feel for them you know i just um I, I went to a support group for a number of years and I met the most amazing group of women who were going through exactly the same thing. And they were a huge, huge support system for me. And, and that helped me a lot. And then I met some of my best friends now uh, for the last 27 years are parents with people, you know, with children with disabilities and um, reach out for help, ask for help, find people that are in the same situation as you. And it, it could be difficult. You know, I used to go to these support groups and, and cry all the way home. <laughs> You know, but all in all, they were real. They really were supportive, and 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 they helped me tremendously. And to this day, twenty seven years later, I still have these wonderful, amazing women in my life that have been such a huge support. And I, I believe I am for them as well. And it, it's important. So so seek seek the help. Big thanks to my friend Jackie for her willingness to share her story today. Our hope is that stories like these can open you up to someone who has a different life experience than yourself. What can we learn from one another? Only then can we exercise empathy. And as times change, we all move forward. So how can a day like today help guide you to foster an environment that includes, not excludes? Not just as a family member or friend, but as an employer. Every employee deserves a chance to succeed, and that begins with you being open to their unique life experience. It's up to you to advocate for inclusive work environments and be the change you wish to see in the world. My name is Kai Sorensen, and this is Balancing Life's Issues.